0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Luke 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Good morning, everybody morning. Happy New Year. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. We haven't met yet. My name's Aaron, and really excited again to be able to preach and share God's Word with you this morning. You know, the New Year time this week and the you know the days leading up to it and after, it's always a fun time in many ways. It can be, at least. It's a time where you know you can look back on the previous year and see the things that the Lord has done in your life and see the areas where you've grown and Areas maybe where you want to see the Lord, continue to do things as you think about the coming year and just to reflect just in general on where you were a year ago, you know, for myself and our family of six a year ago, we were, I think on like day two or three of our road trip from California out here to Omaha. We were, I think at Zion national park on new year's day last year, just hanging out and having a good time as we were slowly making way across the country. And you know, that was last year. This year on new year's day, hopefully I'll be watching the Washington Huskies beat the Texas uh, Longhorns, right? So I'm hoping, but anyway, it's just fun just to think about, you know, reflecting on the past and looking forward to uh, what's ahead in all different facets of life. And there's a lot of joy that can be in that. And at the same time, as kind of Kevin was, was mentioning a moment ago, there can be a lot of grief and sadness as you think about perhaps the things that you're lamenting or grieving over the past year, you know, things that you wish would have happened, things that unfortunately happened and just the pain and loss of just experiencing living in a broken world. And so I mentioned that because there's a temptation both in the joys and in the grief to sort of not be intentional on how we think about how we want to live our lives into the coming year instead of just kind of instead numb ourselves and just settle for all the distractions that are available to us. You know, it's very easy. We live in what many people call an an attention economy, meaning that whoever grabs your attention or whoever grabs your attention, whatever thing that is, now has your allegiance, your devotion, and your worship. Attention is what drives so much of our economy and our society. You know, the algorithms and the advertisers are vying for your attention. And so especially as you are thinking about the year ahead and what maybe habits or goals or things you want to do or see happen in the year, there's a temptation also to think, okay, if I'm going to have a really fulfilling life or really enjoyable year, I need to like do the newest, coolest hack or trick or app. I need to just completely reinvent the whole wheel and just dive into something, you know, completely novel and completely new and kind of set aside all those traditional time-tested things. And maybe it's something new out there. That's what I really need. You know, and there's this sense where that's a temptation for all of us. But may I remind you though, is that as I was saying, like our attention spans, they're so easily distracted by all these new gadgets and gizmos and things that are so shiny and whatnot. One study I was reading this past week told, told, said that the average attention span over the past you know decade or so has gone from a meager 12 and a half seconds to like eight and a half seconds. And I don't know how they know this part, so just take this for what it is. Apparently the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So better than you and me, in that sense. So we take that for what it is. The point is, is that we are so easily distracted, and this can bleed into our discipleship to Jesus as we think about what it means to follow him with intentionality, It's easy to get tempted and be distracted with all these other different things. One pastor I like listening to a lot, John Tyson says, attention leads to adoration, meaning what you give your attention to is what you will end up worshiping, what you end up devoting your life to. And this is exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning, this idea of simple attention. And then as we think about going into this new year, May we be a people that have simple attention to the person and work of Jesus and all that he has to offer. And so to do that, let's take a look at Luke chapter two here and really focus in on Simeon and Anna. And I want us to see as we just kind of work through the story and let the story be the story, see how both Simeon and Anna have simple attention to Jesus, simple attention to who God is and what God is all about. So take a look starting in verse 25. The text reads this. Now, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Right out of the gate, Luke tells us, Simeon is quote, righteous and devout. Now, this doesn't mean Simeon was morally perfect and was flawless or sinless, but no, the idea of simply being righteous for Simeon here is this idea that his his goal, his aim, his desire in life was to simply live a life that's in accordance with the will and the the pattern that God has laid out in Scripture and to live this life where he is disciplining himself, he's devoted to seeing God's purposes fulfilled in the world. That his life is organized, his life is arranged in such a way that the purposes of God, the plan of God, and the person of God himself are front and center. This is who Simeon is giving his attention to. And in a very particular way, notice the text says that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, there's so much packed into that short little phrase, the consolation of Israel. In fact, mainly where that's coming from is the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Back in Isaiah chapter 40, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read you a line or two from Isaiah 40. Isaiah says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. It's that famous John the Baptizer text that all the Gospels quote. Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. But the point I want us to draw our attention to is that this idea of waiting for the consolation of Israel, Luke chapter 2, that word consolation is the exact same word and phrase found in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. And what we're being drawn to here is that Simeon is a man devoted to the word of God, the promises of God in the scriptures, in particular, the prophet Isaiah. And that for Simeon, he understands, especially the book of Isaiah, the way that it's structured. Isaiah 40 is this beautiful turning point Or from Isaiah 40 on, it's this passage after passage after passage of God God expressing and promising his comfort and salvation to all the peoples of the earth through the servant of, of, of Yahweh. And that new heavens and new earth would come and that this comfort from Isaiah 40 would be finally and fully unleashed through God's Messiah. And right here in Luke chapter two, Simeon has positioned himself Simeon has devoted himself to being the kind of person that is anchored in the word of God and the promises of God. That his attention, what's consuming his thoughts, his mind, is God's word, God's promises. But take a look as the story develops and continues, though. Verse 27, And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. So Simeon's taking baby Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, look at this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Again, holding on to God's promises. For, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice what Simeon has just said there. Simeon has equated God's salvation with this baby boy, Jesus. That they're one and the same. That the salvation of God is for Simeon. He fully sees it, he recognizes it, he receives it in the person of Jesus. And isn't the same true for us? That the salvation of God, that that he freely given and offered to every single one of you in this room, is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now, it's not explicitly like, there's no quotation marks right here, but every phrase in verses 31 and 32 and even a little bit keeping going into the passage, they're all allusions or quotes, again, from the prophet Isaiah. Simeon, steeped, anchored, rooted in, attending to the scriptures, the word of God, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That language is used on repeat over and over and over again. It's like copy and paste, Luke is, from the book of Isaiah. And for the glory to your people, Israel. Again, I can't state it enough how important this is that Simeon, his attention, his focus is on the scriptures, is on the word of God. He's anchored in the text, in particular, the book of Isaiah, which kind of quick side note, that's why many people talk about Isaiah as kind of the, quote, fifth gospel. Because so much of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are doing again and again is quoting, yes, from all of the Old Testament. But in particular, the prophet Isaiah. And what they're doing, and especially Luke, here in these early chapters of Luke chapter 1 and 2, through Zechariah and Mary, and now Simeon and Anna. How all four of these characters in the early chapters They're constantly themselves quoting quoting from the Old Testament. They themselves are anchored in the scriptures. And what what is is the, the, the gospel writer Luke trying to show us through the inspiration of the spirit? Well, he's trying to show us that the coming of Jesus, the advent of Christ is not some just random event in redemptive history, but no it's anchored to and tethered to all of the promises and words of God from the Old Testament now come to fruition and fulfillment in the person of Jesus that there is extreme continuity from Genesis and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and the Psalms and Daniel, all being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. But before we move on, there's one more thing I need need you to, to understand and see here. In verses 25, 26, and 27, we're told that Simeon is either led by the Spirit or the Spirit of God is upon him. And this is vital to see that for Simeon, his attention and his focus is yes on the scriptures, but also that the spirit of God is at work in his life in a profound and deep way. Now, it's important to also understand that at this point in redemptive history, Pentecost has not happened, Luke cha- or Acts chapter two. but We understand and know that Luke has written both the gospel of Luke, which we're looking at right now, but and also the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the spirit of God descends and comes upon God's people. Now, even though that that has not happened yet, what we see here in Luke chapter two is just, and fact, I could put it like this, a simple foretaste of what will happen for all of God's people. That God's people are to be filled with and the Spirit leading and guiding them to have their attention and their focus on the work of God and the promises of God. And do you see here in this passage how it's the Spirit of God that is leading Simeon into the house of God and into the scriptures, but ultimately, for him to see in verse 30, behold, I have seen your salvation. In other words, here we see the Spirit of God leading the people of God, Simeon, to Jesus. And that is the, the work of the Spirit to, to bring us into fuller, deeper communion with and, and understanding with and love of Jesus. And so Simeon in verse 34 it says, "Blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, talking to Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What Simeon is saying here to Mary is that this child who he's blessing and he's saying this is God's salvation, is yes, a light to all the peoples of the world, to all the Gentiles. And he will be one where people are going to oppose him. There will be confrontation. In other words, Jesus is not someone you can be neutral with. Jesus is not someone you can just look at the Gospels and look at the Scriptures and go, hmm. I'm going to be kind of indifferent. What these few verses are, what these few verses are saying is that either you are for Jesus and with Jesus and trusting in Jesus, or you stand opposed to him. And that Simeon is recognizing. Simeon is one who, yes, sees and beholds God's salvation, but also recognizes that Jesus, in the best sense of the word, will confront people. And that in the best sense of this phrase, Jesus should bother you. That if you don't see and recognize the gravity of what the gospel message is telling you, that apart from him you are dead in trespasses and sin and that apart from him you can do nothing and that you bring nothing to the table, if that does not deeply penetrate your heart and you don't desperately recognize your need for grace and your need for Christ in your life, then perhaps you haven't fully understood the message that Jesus brings. Again, neutrality with Jesus is not an option. Either you fully embrace and adore and attend to Him, or you are opposed to Him. Now, let's pause here and take a step back. Usually, at some point in a sermon, the pastor will give one point, then two points, maybe three, in sequential order. What I want to do is break that a little bit. I want to give you two for one at this point, because I want you to see that these two points, how they intersect and go together. See, as we think about what it means to have simple attention to God and his promises and what he's up to, I want us to see that simple attention requires that we have attention to both the scriptures and the spirit. And that these go together. See, on one hand, you have some people are like all about the scriptures, all about the word, but there's no sense of the spirit working in their life. It's just kind of, you know, rote and mundane and just kind of stale at times. And then there's people over here that are more like spirit, 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 but they're not tethered to the truth of God's word. And just kind of willy-nilly, kind of whatever comes to mind. But don't you see that for Simeon? His attention and his focus is anchored in the scriptures as the spirit is leading him and guiding him. And that for us today as God's people, as we, for instance, perhaps pray as the psalmist does, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your word. Now we recognize it is the spirit of God who illuminates the text, who allows us to behold and see who God is and what God is up to in the world and how God is working in, not just these ancient stories, but how these ancient stories and prophecies and poems and, and letters speak to our very hearts and our very situations today. And so for us, simple attention means both the scriptures and being led by the Spirit. Allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts as the Spirit reveals the beauties and the the truth of the gospel. And we see this in Simeon again and again. And I want us to see as we think about our lives as we enter into a new year, what this invitation looks like for you. See, there's one simple level. There's nothing novel or new that's being said right now. Like the invitation to be a people of God's word, to allow the spirit of God to illuminate the text for us, that is something God's people have done for millennia. And the invitation for us as we think about oftentimes into a new year. It's a beautiful time to think about, okay, How do I wanna structure my my, my practices and my days to be in God's word more and to maybe attempt a Bible reading plan? And those are all great and fun and awesome and those are wonderful. In fact, we have Bible reading plans I wanna mention out the the doors here on the the info table to help you walk through the scriptures in a a regular way, in a regular pattern over the course of this new year. I wanna encourage you, if you can, if you haven't already, go pick up one of those Bible plans on your way out. And at the same time, Don't do that alone because Leviticus in the middle of February in 20 degree weather is a recipe for disaster, right? Because we need to understand that. I we all have done this, right? We've all attempted a Bible reading plan and you're in Leviticus and you're like, am I supposed to feel something about the peace offering right now, right? You're like, I don't know. My point though is that none of these things that I'm talking about today are neither new nor are they meant for you to be done alone. And so I want to encourage you as you think about whatever, if it's that Bible reading plan or something else that in some way, shape or form that you have people in your life that can either hold you accountable to what you're reading and the patterns that you're reading, or simply if there's a way you can read something together, the scriptures together that for millennia, the scriptures have been read in community. Of course, yes, a personal time with the Lord hundred percent for sure. But is there some way you can incorporate the gift of God's people in that practice. Another thing I just want to quickly mention is that I came across this this past week is that Crossway, the kind of the main publisher for the ESV Bible translation, is giving away through their podcast, through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, free audio Bibles or voice recordings of the Bible being read to you day by day by different people that many of you are, are familiar with and know, people like Jackie Hill Perry or Ray Orland. So if you want to subscribe to, you know, the ESV Crossway podcast, just kind of go search for that you can have someone like Ray Orland read the Bible to you in the morning and that would be delightful, right? (laughs) But all I'm trying to say is this. There's all these different ways to do this, but it's very simply about the habits and practices of being intentionally in God's word on a regular basis. I always tell people, one of the things that's really helpful in this is recognizing that this isn't just gonna happen naturally for you. I mean, you're not just going to like in the middle of March, I kind of joke about that, but but come February, March, you're not just going to like get up and naturally want to be reading certain passages in the old Testament. But there's certain ways you can kind of align your life, arrange your life where you can do certain things that kind of help alleviate some of that tension. And one of those things I just tell people over and over, and over again is scripture before phone. In other words, get a real alarm clock. Don't use your phone as an alarm clock because then you end up scrolling in your bed, but do something, to commit to that particular kind of keystone habit, scripture before phone, and just allow God's word to be what sets the course of your day. Again, don't do that alone, but may the Spirit of God invigorate you and give you that passion and that desire to see His truth be central in your life. Now, we've met Simeon. Let's meet the second character, Anna, verse 36. And there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. By all indication, what we get similar to Simeon, Anna is advanced in years. She's old, she's seasoned, she's been around the block. But like Simeon, she has arranged her life. She's disciplined her life in such a way where her attention and her focus is on the person of God and what God is up to in the world, that her longing, her desire, is to see God's plans and purposes fulfilled. She's advanced in years, yet she is finishing her course well. Why? Because again, her attention, her simple attention is devoted to God. Now, with Simeon, we talked about how the scriptures and the spirit were at work in Simeon's life. That was where his attention was given, was, was the, the priority there as a way to see and behold God and his salvation. With, with Anna, very similar, but if I could put it to you like this, simple attention too for, 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 for Anna is on the spiritual disciplines. Notice what the text says in verse 37. She did not depart from the temple. She's in the presence of God, with God's people, worshiping, with fasting and prayer night and day. She's doing what we might consider different spiritual practices or disciplines. And coming, verse 38, up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting. Again, this is very similar language to to Simeon. Waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. But I want us to see for Anna again is that her simple attention is on these spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, things like worship, gathering with God's people, fasting, and praying. And for her, even to be able to say, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, she's echoing the prophet Isaiah. Her life is anchored in in the text. Her life is anchored in the promises of God. Now, it's easy when, and I say the word discipline, that's not like a very fun word for many of you. For me too, Right? No one likes discipline. We like freedom in America. We want to be able to do what we want when we want. But this idea of discipline, let's kind of let's, let's recapture this word, let's reclaim this word as a beautiful, life giving concept. See, on one level, there is a, there's a reality to you if you are going to grow and mature in godliness and in devotion to, to God, there is a sense, I'm going to put it like this. Where, yeah, there are certain things you have to do to, to grow in godliness, to grow maturity. And you could phrase it like that. You could say that and technically you wouldn't be incorrect, but I think there's a better way to reframe that. There's a better way to think about the spiritual discipline. Instead of having to think about it, like I have to do these things. When we really understand the beauty of Jesus and the gospel of grace and the gift of salvation, these quote-unquote spiritual disciplines don't be, don't, are not things we have to do. It's a gift and a joy to get to do them. It is a joy and a delight to gather with God's people. It is a joy and a delight to set aside time for rest and prayer and to be in God's Word. It's all a response to the, to the grace of God that I have been freely given in Jesus. And I no longer think about, we no longer have to think about disciplines and practices and things that we have to do. Rather, a joyful response and an attitude of gratefulness of I get to be with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I get to commune with the creator of the universe. And God has given each of us these means of prayer and worship and scripture and all these different practices as ways of encountering and knowing God in deeper and fuller ways. Dallas Willard, I love it how he puts it. He says this, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is not to earn God's favor, but to align our hearts with his. Or Eugene Peterson talks about it like this. He uses this phrase called, quote, the unforced rhythms of grace. That when you really have been captivated by the person and work of Jesus and the gospel of grace, that these practices, these kinds of things, prayer, fasting, worship, scripture reading, so on and so forth, they become unforced rhythms of grace. Now, if you're anything like me, there's certain practices and disciplines that, you know what? They're just a little more difficult. They're not as enjoyable. They're not as, you know, easy, quote-unquote, for you to do or find the time to do. And I think it's important to recognize. One, I had a mentor who kind of gave me this frame of reference. To think about the spiritual disciplines in kind of two main buckets. Downstream disciplines and upstream disciplines. And that will look different for different kinds of people. But downstream disciplines are simply those kind of practices and disciplines that that they're more easy for you to do. You enjoy them more. You don't have to, like, grit your teeth to do them. And upstream disciplines are kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's a little more work. It takes a little more intentionality. And again, depending on your story, your background, your personality type, that may look different from person to person. Now, here's the key. What was really helpful for me was figuring out how to pair an upstream discipline with a downstream discipline. Here's here's the example. For me, a downstream discipline is scripture reading. I love reading in general, and I love reading the Bible. You don't have to tell me to do that. I just love getting to do that. As much as I can. What's a little more difficult for me is prayer. You know, I'm like the goldfish, right? Attention span. Like three seconds in, I'm thinking about so many other different things. And so for me, my mentor is like, well, why don't just pair prayer with scripture reading more? Allow the scriptures to be what animates and guides and dictates the things you're praying. Allow your reading, even in other books, to fuel your your prayer, to, to allow those things to intersect and come together. Now, again, the things that we're talking about this morning, they're not innovative. They're not new. Christians have done these things for millennia upon millennia, and that's the point. Again, every time at this point of the year, heading into the new year, there is that subtle temptation to think okay how do I find the hack or the trick or the whatever it is to make my life better to achieve something better to go up and to the right in some new way shape or form and may the invitation of the spirit be for you and me in this room that maybe it's actually as Kevin was mentioning it's the time-tested traditional practices that's what you need That's what you need to devote your life to. And allow the simple things of being in the scriptures, practicing the spiritual disciplines, to be what you give your attention to, to allow those things to shape and to mold your life, your heart, your imagination. Now at one level, I could just end the sermon right there. We could be done, we could go to brunch early, and we could just say, just Bible, spiritual disciplines, happy new year, put those into practice. And that would be okay in a certain sense. But I would want to, to no, 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 not, not do that. Because it's incomplete. Because what's really important to see, as important as being in the word is, and as important as the spiritual disciplines are, that these are a means to an end. These are a means to a greater goal, and that greater goal is beholding and seeing and knowing and adoring God more and more and more. Your goal this year is not to finish that Bible reading plan. Your goal this year is to know and love God more and more and to worship him more fully. Your goal is not to pray three times a day for 365 days this year and do left yield, all those great things. Your goal is to commune with the triune God, and to see, and like Simeon, to see and behold God's salvation, to fall on your face in worship of him, that the Father has sent the Son, the Son has willingly gone to the cross and does and says only what the Father says, and the Spirit has sealed and given us this great salvation. And that you would, this year, more and more see and behold the beauty of who God is. And that these very good things, scripture reading, spiritual disciplines, being led by the Spirit, they're all a means to an end, a means to seeing and beholding the beauty of who God is. In my own sort of personal reading and studying, I've been reading a lot of just really kind of focusing on Paul's letters. Spending a lot of time reading through different epistles that Paul has written and just, for a lot of, it's just a lot of fun for me to do that. And one of the things that has really stood out to me is that over and over again, when Paul, they're kind of really focusing on Paul's prayers, when Paul is about to pray for one of the churches he's writing to, he often says things like this. He'll say something like, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He's commending them, he's he's encouraging them, you're doing really well. You have this great faith and this great love. And for this reason, Paul would say, I never cease to stop praying for you. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that the spirit would give you a spirit of revelation, understanding that you would know the hope of your calling, you would know the riches of your inheritance, that you would would know the power of God. Paul is, is often saying on repeat, again and again, you have faith in Jesus, you have love for God's people. And for this reason, I'm praying that you would see and behold God even more. That there's more of God to behold. There's more of him to know. And what's striking to me about that is that I often think of prayer as like, you know what, that's just what we do for like crisis management. When things are bad, then I'll pray. And yes, of course, come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Yes and amen. And... Paul's prayer all throughout the New Testament is that God's people who already know God and love God and love God's people, that they would focus and see and have their attention more and more and more on God. That Christian, there is more of God to behold and know and love for you this year. There is more of him to worship and adore for you this year. That's the goal, friends. That's where your attention, by God's grace, is to be. To see and behold and know him more and more and more. So, Father, we ask. We ask, God, that you would do that work in our hearts. That you would expand our our hearts and our imaginations to to see and behold you more clearly. God, that you would give us just a greater capacity and a greater desire, a greater depth of just hunger for you. God, would you forgive us for the ways that our attention is so easily turned to lesser things? And God, would you help us by your spirit that our attention and our adoration would be on you and you alone. Help us, not just today, not this—you know these first few weeks of the new year, but help us day in and day out to have that deep sense of desperation and need as we attend to you. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.